0: They are good at what they do. They've always been employed. They never look at job ads. And the only way that you're ever going to be able to attract them is either by having a third-party recruiter that specializes in your industry, finding them for you, or having your executive team and that specific skill set start putting themselves out there and proactively start having conversations with those people. So when the job comes open, you're able to execute on that very quickly.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla 76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. As you look inside of your own organization, how many resources, both people and dollars, do you find are thrown at new customer acquisition? Probably quite a bit. Now compare that to the resources thrown at talent acquisition. My guess is that for most of you, the former will dwarf the latter. Why is it that most of us invest so little in showcasing why our company is a great place to work, building relationships with future hires well in advance of us needing them, hiring deeply skilled professionals to lead those talent acquisition efforts? My guest today is here to talk about all of this. We've packed a ton into this conversation, and I'd be outright lying if I didn't say that it left me with plenty to think about. So let me introduce him. Jay Venard is founder and CEO of Ventech Search Group, one of the top sales-specific executive search firms in automation, robotics, and the manufacturing spaces. Ventech specializes in placing sales development reps up to chief revenue officers and everything in between. Jay had an eight year minor league baseball career from 1995 to 2003 with the Toronto Blue Jays, New York Mets, and Tampa Bay Rays. And he has been in the recruiting business since 2004, started Ventech Search Group back in 2017, and has consulted automation and manufacturing companies on their internal recruiting and hiring processes since 2020. Jay is happily married with five girls, six dogs, and thankfully a man cave to help him escape the chaos. Jay, welcome to the show.
0: Hey,
2: what's up, Joe? How you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I I read that last sentence this morning as I was kind of prepping for this conversation and wanted to just confirm that's not a typo in there. Five girls and six
0: dogs? (laughs) Five girls and six dogs, but you left out the key thing. And what's that? The man cave. The man, man cave, cave to 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 escape all the chaos.
2: Yep, yep. That's that's. I imagine that is necessary. Well, I applaud you. I have, I have three kids, eight, age eight or under, and no animals. And the I would describe my house as chaos most of the time too. So I can't imagine what it's like with for you or what it's been like at least over the years.
0: <laughs> yep, you you got your hands full too. I, I'm oh, yeah. kind of out of the woods now because my youngest is going to be 15 in March. So okay. we're we're good now. I
2: imagine there were some pretty wild years there, though, along the way.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, especially with it being a blended family. Yeah. All right. Awesome, man.
2: Well, Jay, it's good to have you here. You and I met a couple years ago during the the very short era when when Clubhouse, for those of you who even know what we're talking about, kind of a social media audio based, you know, I don't even know how to describe it, but platform where they have live audio conversations. It was pretty cool what was going on there for a while and a lot of manufacturing people were were there and we did an episode with a few others, Patrick O'Reilly and I, I can't even recall who was on on that one, but had a really great conversation about labor and manufacturing. That was kind of early pandemic when we did that and things were, you know, if they weren't wild already, they were becoming even crazier and so yeah, really love talking to you then and it's you're probably overdue to be here on this podcast. It's good to have you.
0: No, I appreciate it. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. Yeah. I guess I kind of had I had to come chase you to get on here, but that's I, ok.
2: You should have just asked, man. I'd have had you had, had you two years ago.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, I know that, and and that's exactly what I did. All I did was ask, and you were like, "Yeah, boom, right that's away. Good, so man. I was like, man, I should have done that a long time ago, yeah. well,
2: I mean, this is you know, this is it. We talk about a lot of things on this podcast, but the the topics that just keep reemerging here and in my client conversations are, You know, challenges with with labor, whether it means recruiting or retaining people, all sorts of supply chain issues, and a lot of the the problems seem to continue to revolve around those things. And so I I like how you've, you know, I'm excited to talk to you about this because you've got kind of a niche here in the recruiting world that I think is going to be relevant to a lot of our audience. And I really like some of the things that I know we're going to get into here around positioning your company. In a way that you know, makes people actually want to work there, and and the, pr- the processes you go through to, to to reach people, and the way you look at job post, you know, writing your job posting. So we got some great, ta- very tactical things in here that I think are going to give people some takeaways, but also some high level strategic stuff. So, yeah, I'm excited. Let's let's get into it if you're ready.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Coming full circle coming first full circle from. Clubhouse, and you know, I'm hoping to share with your audience ways to actually, and this is going to sound interesting for a lot of the people listening, recruit better talent without having to pay big recruiter fees. So I'm really excited to jump into that.
2: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure people like the sound of that. So we'll we'll hop into it and we'll let you towards the end talk a little bit about how you can you know potentially get involved in, in helping some of our listeners too. So one, one thing you said, Jay, that was pretty interesting to me, and I was almost surprised to hear you say it, and I'm excited to hear you break it down. But you, you said that top, the person at the top of the company really needs to own talent acquisition, but that most CEOs will tell you, I don't have time for that. And I'm not surprised to hear that people would say, I, I don't have time for that. So I'd love to just hear your perspective on this, if you want to dive into it.
0: Yeah, you know, after doing this for 18 years, the one thing that I realize is that when you have, whether it's the CEO, or even a COO, owner, founder, whatever it is, kind of driving talent acquisition, those are the companies that, across the board, over the last 18 years have always attracted the best talent. And so oftentimes what happens is, you know, the person at the top, the owner CEO, they say they don't have time for it. Well, what, what I'll argue is that how do you not have time for the most important thing that drives your business? You know, you can look at your customers and you can look at your product and you can look at delivery and that's all really important. But if you don't have the right people in place, to do that job or make your product or serve your customers then you're really just doing your company a disservice and i see too many leaders at the top push that responsibility off to someone and usually it's either you know an hr person or internal talent acquisition And I'm not saying that they can't handle it, but they shouldn't be in charge of it. I actually believe that if you are going to offload the responsibility of talent acquisition to someone else in your organization, let's just say it's a vice president of human resources or human resource manager, that person should report directly to that founder, CEO, leader. There shouldn't be anyone in between because oftentimes when you talk about talent acquisition, that person's job should be to get the best person. And at the end of the day, the leader is the one that should sign off on that person. And if you've got other people involved, there could be some personality issues, personality conflicts, and you may not be hiring the best person. So what I see is the best companies, the most successful companies, the ones that attract the best talent The leader of the organization is the one driving recruiting. They're fully involved in recruiting. They're the one that's actually setting the recruiting strategy. And everything when it comes to recruiting goes through that person. And ultimately, at the end, that person is the one who kind of signs off on whether or not they're going to bring a new person in.
2: Yeah, I like your perspective on that. And sometimes there are parallels to my business and the business, you know, I'm a marketing agency owner, right, that works with manufacturers. Sometimes there are parallels, sometimes there aren't with running my business and the manufacturing CEOs and presidents and owners that at our clients. And this is one where I think there is because I, I, I have the good fortune of, of being a 50% business owner. And my key accountabilities are really marketing and sales for Gorilla. My business partner's key accountabilities are retention, culture, recruiting, everything you're talking about there. And not to say that he physically does all the work involved there. We we have, yeah. you know, somebody with an HR role inside of our business too, but they report directly to him as, as business owner and he's actively involved and ultimately it's his responsibility to make sure that all of that, that machine is working the way it's supposed to
0: yeah you know and and what i go to when when i talk to leaders of companies about this is that if you're the ceo of the company do you need to be spending half your day in recruiting no but really at the very least if you think about it every company has a customer value proposition very few companies have an employee value proposition i call it the evp hmm. and as a company if you haven't got your leadership team into a conference room or a boardroom or whatever it might be to talk about the EVP because I'm sure they've spent a ton of time trying to figure that figure out their CVP customer value proposition but they don't spend any time on the EVP what is it about your company that is going to attract the best talent and every Everyone in your organization, especially your leadership, but everyone in your organization should know and be able to recite what that EVP is. And then when you talk about the EVP, it even goes deeper. You know, you can talk about how great your company is and most people focus too much on company culture. I'm just going to tell you right now, Joe, and this is going to be somewhat controversial. Company culture is a bunch of BS. And the reason why it is, is because every company talks about it. Mm-hmm. And I've seen so many companies in my 18 years that talk about how great that their company culture is. We put someone in their company and then we start talking to multiple people who are looking to get out of that company. And they tell us about how terrible the company culture is, how much of a tyrant the leader is, you know, how the, the managers micromanage. And so when you're leading an organization and really your employees are are the the thing that really drives your business, you have to all be on the same page. You have to all be rowing in the same direction. And the only way you can do that is if you have a strong EVP set by the founder, CEO, president of the company, where every head of every department knows exactly what it is, can recite it to a T, and then every employee knows about that. So when people are talking about your company, they're all talking about the same thing. They're all talking about why someone would want to come to work for your company. And then on top of that, what does it look like to work at your company? If if a top performer comes into your organization today, where are they going to be at two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, hopefully 10 years from now, which over the last five, six, seven years, 10-year employees are are, are a little bit difficult to get. But if you have a great EVP and you're taking care of your employees, you should have no problem retaining them
2: yeah well said i also think that you know when you say culture is a bunch of bs i think it's that it kind of probably stems from the fact that a lot of companies i think try to manufacture culture they say they they and it's it's something that has to happen organically and i think it's not the the leader of the company that can decide what the culture is i think it's their job to figure out How do we facilitate a great culture? And ultimately, it's going to be your employees, the people who truly make it. You just have to give them the opportunity to make the the right culture.
0: Yeah. And if you think about it, too, you know, a lot of people will hang company culture on the fact that they have foosball tables, ping pong tables, unlimited Red Bulls and all that. I can tell you right now, a top performer, someone who is coming in to do a really good job to self-actualize, they don't. They don't give a damn about any of that. They're not drinking any of your Red Bulls. They're not out there playing ping pong and they could care less about that. What they wanna know, and this is in my opinion, the number one thing that companies should focus on when they're recruiting is you should focus on, can you show that person that you're trying to recruit what their career path is going to look like, and what it actually looks like to work at your company on a day-to-day basis. Because I think a lot of leaders really kind of lose the fact that when somebody comes to work for you, they become family. They actually spend probably more time with you and the people in your organization than they do with their own family. So how do you, how do you make them feel like they're part of a family inside your organization? it's not foosball tables, it's not ping pong tables, and it's not unlimited red balls.
2: 100% agree. Jay, as, as the owner of a recruiting firm, obviously, you're going to have some natural bias here. But I would really still love for you to tell our audience, from your perspective, why you believe an outside recruiting partner is so essential.
0: Yeah, and I knew this question was coming. And, and And I talk about this a lot on LinkedIn, too, because I actually try to take a little bit of the bias away from it. You know, really, if you bring in the right recruiting partner or the right talent acquisition consultant, you can almost eliminate third-party recruiting fees. If companies just really knew how to set up their talent acquisition, build an employee value proposition, get everyone bought into the, the process you should be able to eliminate a majority of your recruiting fees. Now, we all know there're critical positions, there are, you know, replacements that happen where you need to bring in a third-party recruiter to do things confidentially for you and and you know, that's important, but I also believe that whether you have internal talent acquisition or an HR department that is handling your recruiting They can't do some of the things that we can do. You know, some companies will actually handcuff their internal talent acquisition by saying, you know what, let's just place job ads and call those people because we don't really want to go and headhunt from our competition because if they find out, then they're going to do it to us. And that's where we come in because that's all we do. We are the true definition of a headhunter. We call ourselves an executive recruiting firm at least our company, we don't invest in any job boards. We don't post jobs on paid job boards. We go out and recruit. We call people sometimes at work, at their office, and and, and get them interested in something that could be better than what they want. So what I believe is that you still have the core function of HR and internal talent acquisition to place the job ads vet those candidates but if you don't have the third party trusted recruiter, and I'm I'm talking about one recruiter, not three or four recruiters, because three or four recruiters, they're all going to tell a different story about your company. You find one recruiter, vet them, invest in them, let them into your company and your company culture so they really understand how to sell that. And then let them run with it, because then what happens is not only are you seeing the active market from job ads or even referrals or whatever it might be. But now you've got that third-party recruiter that's going out there and they're headhunting talent from your competitors and they're bringing them in. And so what happens is you, 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 you get the candidate that has a five figure, sometimes six figure recruiting fee attached to it. You get to compare it to the people that you're getting on your own. And then as, as, as an executive, or hiring manager, whatever you want to call it, you get to make the decision, is this person that's coming in at a thirty dollars to $40,000 recruiting fee, that much better and going to provide that much more ROI, or, you know, maybe even hit the ground running much quicker than that person who has maybe been employed for a month or two, and is going to need a little bit of help kind of getting up to speed it gives you the opportunity to make that decision. And then it gives you a holistic view of the entire market. Because what a lot of people don't realize is, and this is a number from LinkedIn. It's been a while since I've really checked to see if this number's changed a lot. But I know at one point they were saying on LinkedIn that only about 17% of the market at any given time is actively looking. However, there's another, you know, 70 or so percent who are always open to hearing about opportunities, but it's those people in the 70%. They're not going online, looking at job ads. They're not going to companies, career sites, looking to see if you've got a job opening that fits what they want. They're just kind of out there killing it for their own company. And in their mind, they're like, yeah, you know, things could be better or, you know, I'm ready to take my career to the next step, but I just don't have the time to do that on my own. And so that's where someone like us comes in, where we actually have conversations with candidates and we say, we're not coming at you with a specific job. Sometimes we do, but most times we're talking to the best talent or who we think is the best talent in the industry, getting them interested enough to talk to us about what the next step in their career looks like. And then going and either finding that for them right now, if they say, "Yeah, it's time for me to go," or, you know we find it for them down the road. I mean, I always tell people this. I'm like, now that I know what you're looking for, I might be able to bring that to you tomorrow, or it might be two years from now, but because I know what it is, I know that that top-tier candidate is going to answer my phone call when I call them because they know that I know exactly what they're looking for. And that's the reason why a really good headhunter is just an invaluable piece of your organization because they are going to bring people to you that you would never get on your own and they're going to bring them to you very quickly. I can't tell you how many times, Joe, where I talk to companies and they're like, we've been looking for 60 days, 90 days, eight months and we fill the position in around 35 days. They're like, how did you do that? You must've had that person in your database. And we're like, well, yeah, we had them in our database but it's because we had that conversation with that candidate six months ago, made that connection, created that relationship, found out exactly what that person was looking for. It matched what, what you're trying to hire, and we're able to put that piece together. All we really are is matchmakers. And, and, and that's that's pretty much it. So I think that's why every company should have a specialist, someone who specializes in their industry, not a generalist recruiter not a staffing agency, a specialized recruiting firm that is always there on critical searches. And as soon as you get a critical search and, or you know, you're going to need something three months down the road, put them on it. Say, Hey, this is what we're going to be looking for. I want to compare candidates that you've got compared to what we're seeing to make sure that I'm making the best hiring decision from the entire market, not just the active job market.
2: Well said, you packed a lot in there. You know, I in general, I'm I'm just a huge advocate for hiring deep experts in different parts of your business where it's so critical. I mean, you know, we we have an accountant who knows our business well and has been working with us for years. We've gotten a a fractional CFO we work with who that is his his specialty and he does it for others too, but he knows us well because we've been working with him for eight years. You know, same with IT. Same with like what are the critical parts of your business? Well, is anything really more important than your people? Like you, you need an expert, so. Yeah, I agree with you fully there. And I, th- I really love, you know, something you said that, again, I'm seeing a, such a parallel to marketing where we talk about when you're trying to attract future customers, most of the people in your audience aren't out there looking to make a change from who they're using right now. And so you, you can't just, you know, you can't assume people are going to find you because most people aren't looking. They're not, they don't have a problem right now. They At some point they will, and then they're looking. But your job, whether it's from a marketing perspective, trying to acquire new customers or trying to find the right people to work in your organization, you need to do the work now so that when you need something later, people know who you are. They trust you. They believe that you know what you're doing and that you're a leader in your space. And so it's it's all, I mean... I'm 100% on board with what you're talking about there. And I'd love to, one of the questions I had for you, actually, I and mean, let's just go right there now is because you were you and I were talking about this a little bit, of, you know, last week, just this idea of, you know, building relationships with future potential recruits ahead of time, doing it now, like, how do you do that? What are some some ways that you would advocate doing that or ways you've seen others or yourself do those kinds of things?
0: Yeah. So that's the game changer. That's the force multiplier. I would say maybe 5% of the companies that I've ever dealt with actually do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's one of the things that can really accelerate your hiring. It's one of the first things. It's actually the second thing. The first thing I talk to companies about, and I know we're going to get there, is about job descriptions. Yeah. But when I go in and I consult with a company on how they can set up a recruiting and talent acquisition strategy that is going to help them eliminate third party or, for the most, eliminate most third party recruiting fees, it's all about setting up what I call talent pipelines. And that sounds really fancy, but really, what I do before I go into a company, I look at all the department leaders on LinkedIn. What is what is your, and, and I know this is talked about a lot, and it's the number one thing that everyone should think about. You have to have a personal brand on LinkedIn. If you want to attract talent, you have to have a personal brand on LinkedIn. And what that means is you have to be visible. You have to be talking. You have to be posting. You have to become kind of a, an expert if you will at what you do because then if you're producing that kind of content and people right now are probably tuning me out cuz they're like oh yeah I've got all this time to 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 put content out it doesn't need to be daily it just needs to be a couple times a week but what you're doing is you are making yourself people are seeing you on LinkedIn and then what you do strategically is you start connecting. Let's just say, for instance, I'll use, since I do sales, you're a vice president of sales. Okay. Well, let's say there's 10 companies that you're like, if I could get every one of their salespeople, I'd be really happy. Okay. So what you need to do, you should be connecting with every single one of those salespeople from those companies. But if you just connect with them and then they don't see anything from you, you've done nothing. But if you connect with those 10, and you're constantly posting stuff, because you're connected with them, everything you say is going to show up in their feed, whether they read it or not, it's going to start becoming kind of that, I like to use the word, this probably a word you use in marketing, this omnipresence, Mm -hmm. where now you're all over the place to these people, they see you all the time. I mean, I, we get comments here in our organization, people make a cold call to a, a VP of sales. They're like, oh, I see your stuff on LinkedIn all the time. So now it's a warm call. So <clears throat> that 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 takes you to where you're now connected with those people. They know who you are. They kind of know what you're all about. And seven months from now, when you do have that opening and you're like, ooh, I really want that specific person, you go and you send them a direct message. They feel like they know you because you've been posting and it's so much easier to recruit that person. So I think that's one of the things that a lot of uh, uh, executives miss out on because they think I don't have time for that. Oh, you know, that doesn't work. I'm telling you right now it works and it works really, really well. So that would be one of my suggestions.
2: Yeah. I love that. I mean, my business partner john who i mentioned is is essentially you know oversee his accountability is is the people side of our business i mean he actually is probably spending 30 to 60 minutes a day in there writing unique content on linkedin all about things related to recruiting and to use a word you don't love culture but you know it's like how, all his content is is about that and you know specifically in in marketing and so his you know we're we're, we're building relationships with people right who could yep. you've had so many job applicants come to us say i've been following you guys forever you know i'm i'm looking for a job like we we build we keep a lot of our job applications open actually and we have a pipeline of of potential future hires and when we when it's time to turn on a hire we actually will send out an emails to everybody who's applied along the way mm-hmm. we say let's get you in our system so you know maybe a different approach than than in your in your world but there are, i guess the main point is here don't wait till there's a need, right? Start exactly. building relationships ahead of time, however you do it.
0: Proactive over reactive. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, as, as a third party headhunter, that's what we do. So if you're a vice president of sales, and you're not doing the same thing, what you've just done is you've just kept me in business, because you've got a million dollar territory that's been open for two months, you've already lost $160,000 in just revenue alone on that territory because you as the leader haven't done a good job staying in front of the market that you're trying to attract. And what you've done is you've, you've asked your internal recruiter or HR department to post a job ad. And I mean, can we just let the cat out of the bag? We all know that a majority, and I'm saying a majority, sometimes there's a golden nugget there that the people we get coming in from job ads are not the people we're looking for. They're B minus C candidates for the most part. People are gonna be up in arms about this because it is a generalization, but we all know if we've done any amount of hiring throughout our career, we know what we get from job ads. They're not the people you're looking for. And so because you haven't done that front end proactive work, now you have to call me and pay me a thirty to $40,000 fee to find someone that if you would have just set up your own personal brand talent acquisition strategy on your own, you'd already be connected to all the people that I'm probably going to reach out to on your behalf anyway. So you can save yourself a lot of money by doing that. Love that.
2: Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. Peyton and Mary, take it away.
3: Yes, so I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Mary Keo. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50-plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations We meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic and one of our team members at gorilla 76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to get better at a manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A, so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value, no cost, no strings attached, no product or service pitches, just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. Oh, and on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where our attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together all week long between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there.
2: Jay, you were telling me that during the hiring process for sales or sales engineering roles, which I know is one of your deep specialties, a lot of organizations tend to assume that you know, if you don't have experience in our industry, you won't be successful selling our product. And I know you you believe that's absolutely the wrong mindset. I'd love to hear why.
0: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, too, because flashback five and a half years ago, when I started Ventech, most of the automation and robotics companies were really bad about that. They were like, if they don't have any experience in industrial automation, they're just not going to be able to figure out. It's going to take too long, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, my response to that was, well, a top salesperson, if they've got a track record throughout their career of being a top producer, selling multiple product lines, why would they not be able to come into your specific industry and continue to be a top producer? Because at the end of the day, if you're a good salesperson, you can sell anything. And really what it boils down to, and the reason why a lot of companies, they do that is because they don't wanna train people. And it's actually not that they don't wanna train people. They have zero training program. They want people to be able to come in and hit the ground running. And I get it from a recruiting perspective. They're gonna pay us a big recruiting fee. So they want a plug and play person. But really at the end of the day, if you've got a person who's a sales killer and has shown it in multiple different industries, that person with just maybe a little bit longer runway is gonna produce at a, a, at a far higher rate than someone who may have just been good or okay, but comes from your industry. So I think that's something over the last three years, specifically automation robotics companies have gotten away from that. They're more open to good salespeople and training them on the product, I still see a lot of manufacturing companies being stuck in the, they have to be able to sell this. It's this product. They have to come in with these specific types of, of, of clients. Well, most of those people are going to have non-competes. So they're not going to be able to just bring their clients over to you. And then number two, you are you're selling a product that If they have just a general knowledge of the product, they're great salespeople, and they're gonna be able to sell the product for you anyway. So I think that a lot more companies, if they kind of thought along those lines, and, and, and I know we're talking sales specific, if they thought more along those lines, they would attract and hire way better people. Now, I get it on the engineering side for automation, robotics, manufacturing companies, yes. You have to have some specific experience, but on the sales side, just look for people that have great sales background, great track record, and hire those people, train them up on the product, and you'll have a way better ROI on that person than someone that comes in who's just kind of mediocre, but knows the product.
2: Well said. So some of you listeners right now may know who Mary Keo is. She's one of my co-workers and writing, I think, some of the best advice out there right now for marketing for manufacturers. But one of the things she'll do every few weeks or so is she'll do what she calls a um, she'll always put hot take on there. And then she does a teardown of really bad job descriptions for marketing folks. And she just breaks it all down and provides a lot of really great advice to on how to write a better job description to hire a marketer. Jay, you could probably do the same thing. For you know hiring in manufacturing and some of these key sales roles, and so I I would love to just hear you talk a little bit about when you're writing a job description, what 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 do you need to do to so that somebody reads it and and it'll actually make them say I want to work for this company.
0: Yeah, and by the way, I love her posts. First of all, let's stop calling them job descriptions. We've been calling them job descriptions since you know probably the '70s, and Everyone, when they hear the word job description, they break into a sweat because they know that all that is is a list of things that only Superman can do. What companies need to realize now is that with the younger generation, when they see one or two things on that job description that they don't have experience in, they don't apply to your job because they think they have to have all of it. And so, what i always advocate is that you need to write your job descriptions more like a story tell me a story about the company tell me a story about the position tell me a story that when i read this job and i and it's a it it i don't call them job descriptions it's a job ad no matter what i need to know when i read this job ad to have a really clear good understanding of what life is going to be like in your company and in this job. And then what I also advocate, and, and by the way, this is the number one thing that I talk about when I go in and consult with companies on their talent acquisition is just tearing down their, their job descriptions and changing the way that they think about it. Because after you tell the story, you want people to feel good about your company you want them to see themselves in your company and then instead of having a list of 75 things that this person must have have five five to seven or whatever the hiring manager in that department determines are absolute must haves so if they don't have these five things you know right away when you look at that resume they are not a fit it's 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 basically a knockout factor thing below that i always encourage You know, have maybe three bullets on nice to haves. Explain to them in the job description what the interview process is going to look like. So they have an idea of hey, if I apply for this job, am I actually going to hear from someone or am I just supposed to guess on whether or not they've even seen it? The other thing, slightly controversial, put the compensation on it. At the end of the day, if you can only pay $100,000. And a person that is already making one hundred and thirty thousand dollars likes your job and wants to apply, they apply. You go through the whole song and dance with them. You waste your time. You waste their time by talking to them. And then all of a sudden, after three interviews, they're like, how much you know what what would you need to make a change? making one thirty? Oh, we can only pay a hundred. But our company is really great it doesn't matter how great your company is. No one's taken that big of a pay cut unless they have a deep, deep, deep wound at their current company. So I always say, hey, you're going to eliminate a lot of the people who might apply for that job because they are so far out of your, your salary range. And that's the one thing that most people are looking for anyway. Is their salary range? Because I don't really want to waste my time. Sometimes people look at it and be like, yeah, this job's probably too senior or too junior for me. And then they see a salary range and they can kind of put that in with what the rest of the market is for specific jobs. So that's something that I always advocate for is put the comp package in there and and be transparent with it. Don't don't put a, a BS comp package in there. If you know that your absolute top end is 120,000, but you would really like to be more at 100,000, Put the range, hundred thousand to one hundred twenty thousand base, depending on experience, plus bonus commission, four hundred one k, you know, employee contribution, fifty percent of health benefits. You know, let them know what they can expect because that's a really, really important. It's probably now one of one of the most important factors on the job description. You know, so just do it.
2: Yeah, I love everything you said there, and I think one build I have on that, and I've experienced this as an owner of a business. I've been running this company with with my business partner for about seventeen years now, and you know when people do accept that job for less pay than they actually wanted, they don't stay. They That's right because they're just going to keep looking, and you know six months later, twelve months later, if you're lucky to, to keep them even that long. They're gone, and now you're back to square one, and you've wasted all this time training them. And so, I think I, I, I mean I'm a huge advocate for transparency on on, on in in general with money. I, I talk about it all yeah. the time from a marketing perspective. Even if you sell a piece of capex equipment that costs nine hundred thousand dollars, talk about price ranges, right? And yeah. and what's the trade off when you are are buying this versus this? And so, I think the same thing applies here with people. It, they, they that's the first thing they want to know. So just state it, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm even gonna, I'm even gonna make a comment now, you know, we're seeing all these mass layoffs right now. And <laughs> this just happened recently. And And when I hear this, it blows my mind. Yeah, we don't need a recruiter right now, because there's so many people that have been laid off. And we can get them much cheaper than we used to be able to. And I'm like, Okay, so what you're telling me is you you think just because someone was laid off, you can get them cheaper? Okay, yeah, you might be able to because sometimes people get desperate because they need to pay their bills. But to go back to what you said, do you want your employee, your brand new employee that you spent all this time onboarding, all this time training? And and here's the thing, most most companies, they don't put a monetary value on what that onboarding and training actually costs them. And then you have a person that, like you said, is going home every single night and they're looking at LinkedIn, Indeed, ZipRecruiter, looking for another job that is going to get them to the salary level that they were at, and they're using your company as a stopgap just to pay their bills. I think it's one of the worst thing. I mean, to be quite honest with you, any executive or leader that's listening to this that has that philosophy... It's a terrible philosophy you're 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 never gonna build a team of you know absolute studs in your organization with that kind of philosophy. So I mean, just don't get caught in that in that trap. Great advice.
2: Well, Jay, this has been really great. Is there anything else you'd like to add to this conversation that I didn't ask you about?
0: No, you know, I, I think that we pretty much you know covered everything. I mean, I think that there are a lot of ways that companies can reduce their their third-party recruiting fees. I think there are a lot of ways to create an internal recruiting function without having a dedicated internal recruiting team. If you have a a dedicated internal recruiting team, that's fine. Or if you've got one or two HR people, they don't have the capacity to hire or handle the internal recruiting process like it like it needs to be. And so again, what we do is we come in and we help companies by showing them how to use everyone in their in their company as an internal recruiter, how to write job descriptions that are that are more attractive. And when I say that, we don't write the job descriptions. I always say, have someone on your marketing team, or, hire a sales copywriter to write your job description. So it's way more effective online. And I'll just tell you right now, companies that do that, they'll see probably a three or 400% increase on qualified candidates that apply for their jobs. And it's crazy how it works. Because even though I say, you know, people aren't looking for jobs every once in a while, a compelling job ad will show up. I mean, even on my feed on LinkedIn and I still look at them. I mean, if it's like a, a, a founder or CEO or, you know, chief talent acquisition officer, I'm always looking at them. So you have to be able to capitalize on those one-offs and you do that with the job ads. So, you know, I think there's a lot of things that people can do to save a lot of money on that. And, you know, if, if anyone you know answer any questions and and help people with that because i believe that our core function as an external third party recruiting firm is to only come into your organization when you've got a critical need that's been open for too long you need to replace someone but you need to do it confidentially or you've got a position that you know is critical you know 4 months from now that you want someone to start putting eyes on it now. Everything else should be able to be handled internally by either your HR team, your internal talent acquisition, or for those of you that are listening that are going to implement kind of the leadership approach to recruiting where get your leaders more active and building relationships beforehand, that's that's the thing that's going to go the longest, the longest way and save you the most money. So I think that's Pretty much it. I think. I think. Other than that, we pretty much covered a lot of what we wanted to talk to. And I know you and I have a lot of the same views when it comes to recruiting and and really attracting that top ten percent talent. Because again, anyone who's listening, you have to understand the people who are in the top ten percent are usually five x or more and more effective than your average everyday player, and they are good at what they do they've always been employed, they never look at job ads. And the only way that you're ever going to be able to attract them is either by having a third party recruiter that specializes in your industry, finding them for you, or having your executive team and that specific skill set, start putting themselves out there and proactively start having conversations with those people. So when the job comes open, you're able to execute on that very quickly.
2: Well, man, this was a heck of a conversation. So much great advice in here. I really love doing this, Jay. And yeah, I appreciate
0: it. It was awesome.
2: Yeah, well, tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and where they can learn more about Ventech, your firm.
0: Yeah, so you know we've, we're on the web, ventechsearch.com. I, I would say, though, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Jay Venard. I post a ton of content on there. My goal is to, to, you know, put something out daily, but at a minimum three days a week, everyone on my team is putting content out there and it's a lot of different things. It's a lot of stuff about recruiting. Um, a lot of stuff about you know how to make better job ads, a lot of stuff about leadership and, and things like that. So it's not just a one-sided, this is why you should use a recruiter. I put a lot of things out there that are really made to help companies. And I know this sounds really thing coming from a third-party recruiting, help companies save money on third-party recruiting fees.
2: Absolutely. Well, and I can vouch for the the content you and your team published, Jay. I've been following you for a while and you're absolutely practicing what you're preaching. You're creating a lot of value. So please do go follow Jay and see what Ventech's doing. I think after hearing this conversation, I don't have to convince you why. So this was awesome, Jay. really appreciate you doing this.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It was great. Awesome.
2: Well, as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive.